So one of the things that's kind of fun about uh, this particular church and its architecture and how it's laid out and, and all of it and where the parking is and where most people go is the fact that the door most of you come through is right here. And, you know, in the one sense, you might think, oh, well, that, that would be distracting as things are going. But I've actually come to where I actually love the fact that I'm sitting here and, 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 and as, uh, I just really felt it strongly today as Jared was playing and singing and the songs were going on and, and people were gathering. It was just kind of a neat, I don't know, a neat experience in my heart to, to watch the different ones coming in. And you're like, oh, yeah, good to see them, good to see them. So I, I, I've come to where I like that even better than when you just kind of slip in the back. Sometimes, you know, you sit down at church, and the last thing you saw, there wasn't anybody there, and then you, you suddenly stand up, and wow, where did everybody come from? Well, now I know exactly. You came through that door, and I got to see you come in. So I like that piece. It, uh, it has grown on me to, be, to become part of the fun of the whole experience, the gathering of the people of God. So I'm glad for everybody that's able to be here today. May is a crazy month. It's always a crazy month in churches everywhere because there's so many different things that go on, particularly related to schools and, and travel and things like that. And I was, uh, let's say, beneficiary as opposed to victim of that this last week because I was in Collegedale, Tennessee, for the graduation of my son Aaron and my daughter-in-law Marissa, who both graduated from Southern Adventist University this last weekend. Uh, wonderful time, amazing time, so fun to go down there and be with the whole family gathered together. I think Debbie put a couple pictures of it all in the, in the bulletin this week, so if you saw that, you saw some of, some of the experience, but really, really proud of them. Uh, they've done an amazing job uh, just, I mean, in every way at school, but just one of the ways had to do with, with how they did with their grades. Um, so Aaron got his degree in communications and uh, graduated uh, magna cum laude. So very proud of him for that. And, and that would have been great, except Marissa was summa cum laude. So she actually beat him out. So that's awesome. Good for her. Uh, but they are... Uh, headed in August to Florida, to the same area where my son Nathan is, Nathan and Karen and Florence and Marvel, and uh, they'll be living down there and working for Advent Health uh, as well. She is a nurse and he as uh, a resident in the leadership program, so we're excited about that. Good to be back. Alicia's not back yet. She went down to her father's place uh, near Port Charlotte. Uh, because he had, a, he had a little medical procedure and she wanted to be down there uh, for a little bit with him. So she'll be back later this week and we will see her again next Sabbath. So that'll be great to have her back in place. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for, for your goodness, for your love, for your grace, for bringing us together for this place, for this time, for this day. Now, Lord, we pray that you will... You will open our minds, open our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will be present, that we will learn and know and gain conviction uh, of, your, of your desires for us and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to continue on today in the book of Luke. We started there a few weeks back 
uh, started in chapter 4, a couple passages, and I posed a question in the context uh, of what we've been doing. The question was this, what do you believe about Jesus? And the reason I pose this question to you is because what we believe about Jesus will affect our response to him. And if, in fact, what we're believing about Jesus is, is somehow uh, a little skewed one way or another, it can, it can impact our responses quite dramatically. And the first Sabbath, we talked about this as the perfect example. Uh, Luke chapter 4, the story of Jesus coming to Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue, and it is then that he quotes from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and, and talks about all these different realities. And at first, they're pretty excited about it, and they're like, wow, he might really be the Messiah. And they're real excited and, and, and hopeful until he gets a little further in his speech. Now, we don't have the whole speech. We don't know everything he said, but what we do have recorded is he starts saying things that imply that the Gentiles might have a place in this kingdom that he's come to establish. See, in their mind, Messiah means Israel becoming the dominant kingdom in the world. But now here's Jesus saying words that are implying he's not about to gather an army and march on Jerusalem and then march on Rome and take over the world. He's not about to do that. In fact, it sounds like he's kind of opening the door to these Gentiles who have persecuted us. And because what they thought about Jesus, what they believed about the Messiah, did not match up with what Jesus was saying, do you remember what they did? They laid hold of him, took him to the edge of the cliff on which the city was built, and were about to throw him off. But some sort of event took place. It's not clear in Scripture. It just says that Jesus passed through the midst of them and went on his way, whether he disappeared from their side or they just couldn't go through it or, or a certain amount of power and glory came out of him that, that I don't know exactly what happened, but, but it didn't happen. They didn't throw him off. So then we talked the next week about another group that has no lack of clarity at all as to who Jesus is, recognizes him, him immediately, and is is fully aware of what he is able to do. You remember what that group was? They were referred to as demons. A man stands up in the synagogue who has a demon, and the demon says, I know who you are. The Holy One of God, have you come to torment us before our time? And Jesus says, be quiet, and cast him out. It's fascinating because it records in other places the same thing, that the demons are, are confessing who Jesus is, but Jesus won't let them talk. He says, no. Jesus doesn't want the testimony of the demons. He wants the testimony of the humans. But we seem to have a harder time with it. We talked about a concept that, that plays out, that our perceptions lead to assumptions. So how I perceive Jesus in my mind will lead to assumptions as to what I expect Jesus to do, what I expect my life to be, how I expect things to go. And then these assumptions will lead us into expectations. And while expectations about Jesus and who he is can bring us hope, 
Sometimes they also serve to blind our eyes when the reality of our experience doesn't line up with our expectation. And this is the crisis of faith moment. We've all had it multiple times. I expect this, but then this. Now that specifically is not so much the exact theme today. We'll come back to it. But we are going to see one of those moments where a realization about Jesus becomes quite uncomfortable. But before we get to that, I want to say thanks to Dina King who spoke for us last Sabbath and did such a great job. If you were here last Sabbath and heard her, that was a wonderful job. I got to listen to it uh, halfway through the week here, and I'm just going to give you advance warning. Expect to hear from her again. I've already been in touch, and I said, I'm thinking at least once a quarter. How's your schedule? And she said, well, I'm a little busy in the summer, I guess with that whole shop, but we'll let that go. And, uh, but yeah, expect her. I'm already planning her for October, so be ready for that. Fabulous job. Very well done. She talked about a lot of things, but one of the things was, was the, the, the fig tree that Jesus finds that's bearing no fruit. And she talked about bearing fruit and living the life that a believer lives and not just be a, a tree full of leaves. And I love the little story. I mean, I guess it's Mother's Day tomorrow, but we won't, we won't try to steal the glory there. But she told the story of one of her kids who was going to be a superhero and said, I'm going to be daddy. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. That's, that's when you're bearing fruit and people see it. So I want to connect that to the story I'll bring you today, but we'll get to that towards the end. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 primarily. We'll jump out a couple times, but Luke chapter 5 primarily. But to give us the context we need to lead into this story, I want to start in chapter 4, beginning in verse 42. Luke 4, verse 42. And when it was day, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now, we probably could have done a message out of that section right there, a message about how often our expectations and our desires cause us to want to refuse to let Jesus go to others and how our attitudes and perspectives on the purpose of Jesus and who his favorite people are and all of that uh, um, can, can affect how we do things even in this space. But the truth about it is I don't want to really confront those issues in myself today. So if you don't mind, let's put that off. Because Luke 5 has enough trouble of its own. But we'll just move on from that, being aware of the fact that it is human nature to want to keep Jesus to ourselves. That's what they wanted to do then. But Jesus has a bigger mission than just me. We could even become self-centered in our seeking righteousness. Jesus has a bigger mission than just me. But let's go to Luke 5. Luke 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them 
and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So it's an interesting scene, and you can imagine Jesus is there, and he's teaching, and the crowd gets bigger and bigger, and he's, he keeps getting pushed back and back, and he's getting closer and closer to the edge of the lake, and before long he's going to be standing in the water. On the one hand, that's an amazing reality of how the people kept pressing in and wanted to be with him. On the other hand, it's the, the reality of a crowd. It doesn't always behave in a rational manner. So Jesus has this great idea. Hey, let's just get in the boat. We'll go off a little ways. That'll establish a natural barrier. It'll all be good. You know, it's not like those old days. Do you remember we used to, we used to do platforms with a natural barrier? I don't know if you remember that. If you're old enough, the, the pastor used to get into a big imposing pulpit, and there was a, there was a safety wall I don't know why. It's not like the congregation regularly rushed the platform, but, but uh, in those old days. Anyway, so Jesus is in the boat, and he's standing back, and he's teaching the people. And, and what is going to grow out of this event? Yes, there is the teaching to the people, but there's, there's some other things. There's going to be a crushing awareness and a radical response and then a transformational invitation. But before we get to that, let's, let's note what Jesus is doing. He's teaching the people. Any of you that have ever been a teacher know the frustration, but also the joy of teaching the people. And those of you who are teachers right now are right in that home stretch right now where you're like, why in the world did I ever do this job? But then a month from now, you'll be in recovery. And by next fall, you'll be like, when do the kids come back? I'm so eager. Yeah, I know your hearts. But you got to hang on. Most of you are probably not here. You're home, passed out, because you're just done. But anyway, so, so teachers. Jesus was a teacher. And there are lots of venues in our life where we go for learning and, and for teachers. But I want to suggest to you, and, and I think you know this inherently, but, but I want to make the point specifically that yes, church is a worship experience. Absolutely. But church should also be a learning experience. We should know when we come here that it's not just to worship. We're also here to learn every one of us because Jesus has much to teach and we have much to learn therefore we should all come prepared every time we come through these doors on a Sabbath morning we should all be prepared yes prepared in our hearts for worship but also prepared in our minds for learning sometimes it'll be something I say sometimes it'll be something someone else says sometimes it'll just be the Holy Spirit speaking to you apart from any other specific word spoken. But teaching and learning is central to the Christian experience. And to receive it, we must be humble and teachable and ready to learn. Because it's through learning that we gain understanding, and it's through understanding that we begin to have integrated and meaningful lives. Teaching was a huge part of what Jesus did. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, there's this 
refrain that appears a couple times in the book of Matthew, and this is the first time. Matthew 4, verse 23, it says, And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. I'll tell you what, if, it's a, if you're a Christian community, and by God's grace we are, if you're a Christian community and you're teaching, proclaiming, and healing, I think you're pretty much doing it right. I think that's why God has established his church in the world, to teach the ways of God, to proclaim the good news of salvation through Jesus, and to bring healing to the broken, whether it be physical or mental or emotional or however it is. These were the things Jesus was doing. And these are the things the church should be doing as well. Anyway, back to our story. Jesus is in the boat. He's been teaching. And eventually, he comes to the end of the teaching. This particular teaching is not recorded, but we can imagine it was probably similar to some of the other things that we have. Luke chapter 5, verse 4, it says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Okay, question. How do you respond when you get asked to do something by someone who you know doesn't know as much about what they're asking as you do? Little quiz on how well you've gotten to know me so far. How well do you think I respond to that thing? Yeah, it's not good. I can't stand it when someone who I know knows less about this than me comes up and tells me what I should do. This is one of the reasons that sometimes I haven't gotten on so well with the conference, brethren. You can pray for me on that. I get a little wise in my own eyes sometimes. I don't like it when someone who I think doesn't know what they're talking about starts making recommendations. It's not my favorite. Verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. All right, so, so Simon gets credit for acting and doing what Jesus says. But I'm going to have to deduct five points from his score. Because he had to start his obedience with the phrase, making sure that Jesus understands he, Simon, knows better than Jesus. Like, okay, all right, Lord, you don't know much about fishing, but because you said, I'll do it. So I gave him a 95 on this one, just, just five off for that. It was pretty good. Yet the second part of his response if we could just get that part right, even if we muck up the first part and lose five points, if we could just get that second part, at your word, I will do it. Even if it doesn't make sense to me, even if I don't think you know what you're talking about, if we could get that right, imagine the impact on our lives. Is a clear word from Jesus enough to get you to act? I have to tell you, my personal record on this is definitely mixed. 
There are some times when a clear word from Jesus was enough to get me to act. There are other times, ah, no. That's crazy, I'm not doing it. I don't know what your experience is, but that's mine. And so as I was reflecting on this this week, I was trying to think, when are some times in my life I can remember a clear word from Jesus upon which I acted? When were some times that I got it right? And, and there were three events that came to my mind, and I'll tell you about them just briefly. The first one was 30 years ago. See, I've got to go back pretty far to find some of these. 30 years ago when I was at seminary, and it was the summer of 1993, I believe, and I was in, so because I was originally a chemical engineer and then I went to be I went to the seminary to be a pastor. I had to take a whole bunch of prerequisite classes, so we started early. And one of the classes I had to take was called Introduction to Theology. And I had a professor for the Introduction to Theology. He was a professor emeritus, one of these genius guys, uh, but also very German. His name was Daniel Augsburger. And Dr. Daniel Augsburger spoke with a very heavy German accent. But it wasn't so bad that I couldn't understand it. And as I got accustomed to it, I got to where I could understand him quite well. But there was another guy in my class by the name of Park Myung-do. Now, it was from him that I first learned that in the Asian way of doing things, you put the surname first and then and then the other name second. So Park, that was his surname, Myung-do. And I remember sitting in class, and he was over here, and I would look over at him occasionally, and he just, his face was this, this giant question mark. I mean, he spoke English well enough to get by, but he could not understand hardly a word that this German professor was saying. And he just kind of had this glazed look in his eyes. And I had gotten to know him a little bit, but not well. And, and one day, he called me, and I answered the phone, and he was asking me a question about the class, and it had something to do with uh, some detail or some specific uh, about the lecture that day and, and whether or not I had... Uh, he was asking me a question about my notes, and... And I had it down and I told him and, and he thanked me and was very grateful. And I hung up the phone and as I was walking away, I felt like Jesus said to me, call him back and tell him he can have your notes every time after class. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. That's a little bit taking my note-taking ability more seriously than than I do, certainly, thinking it would help. So I tried to brush it off, but the, but the impulse was so strong that I, at one point I audibly said out loud, okay, fine. And I walked back over to the phone, I picked up the phone, and I called him, and I said, you know, you could, you could look at my notes anytime you want. And he was so pleased and so thankful and he got a better grade with my notes than I did which is annoying but it was one of those moments 
where I actually listened to the voice and did what Jesus said to do. And it resulted in a blessing. I, I'm not sure where he is now or what he's doing now. Uh, you know, we lost track, and you know, he's probably back in Korea somewhere doing what he does. But I had that opportunity in that moment, and if I had ignored it, I'd well, have probably been fine. The Lord would have provided another way. But because I listened, I got the chance to be a part of it. There was another time. This is when, when we were in Yakima. I was pastoring in Yakima, and there was a guy in the church named Tom. It's funny to me as I was reflecting on this. I thought of three stories, one from a long time ago, one from quite a while ago, one from more recent. The only names I could remember was a long time ago. As we work closer to now, I, I, I lost the names. I can't remember the names. Anyway, I don't know what that says, but that's something about how the mind works, I guess. Anyway, his name was Tom, and he and his wife were living in Yakima. That's a couple hours from Spokane. He contacted me one day, and he said, I need to go to Spokane. I need to go to the Veterans Hospital in Spokane. I have some things I need to do there. I need to get there. Is there any way you can take me? And now some of you, you're, you're natural extroverts. You do these things. You go around looking for people to help. That's wonderful. I'm thankful for you. That always seems like a strange request to me. So I thought, well, all right, all right, let's see here. So the first place I always go on something like that is, well, if I say yes to this, I'll have to say yes to everybody, and I'll be driving to Spokane every other day. And the Lord said to me, really? Do you even know that many people? Can't you just do this once? I thought, oh, well, okay, yeah, I can do this. So I went and picked him up, he and his wife, and we drove up to Spokane. It actually turned out to be a lovely time. We had a great conversation on the way up, and I got there, and when I was there, I had a, a pastor friend who was in Coeur d'Alene, which was close by. We got together. We had a nice time. I ended up doing it a couple times, I think. You know what? Nobody else ever asked me to do that. But because I listened that time, I got that chance. There's one more. This is when I was in Marietta. This is probably 15 years ago, I guess. I was pastoring in Marietta, and there was a guy in the church who was kind of an unusual guy. Didn't know him well. He, he only came every now and then. But, but I, I mean, he was there a lot, but, but I didn't act, interact with him much. One day... He had called the church, and he needed to go uh, for, for some kind of a medical appointment. I don't know what it was, and it turns out he didn't have a car. I didn't know that at the time, but he didn't have a car. He needed help, and could I do it? And again, I went down through that whole thing again. Well, if I do this once, I'll be doing it all the time. And the Lord said, you just need to get over yourself and just go get the guy. It's not like this is hard. So I did. I got in the car. I drove. I picked him up, and I took him. And okay, yeah, he made my car smell like smoke. But you know, is that the worst thing that's ever happened? So I drove him there. I picked him up at his place. I didn't, uh, I didn't know till later. It was, it was, uh, he kind of, he lived in a, kind of an older trailer that really was kind of a hoarder's den. Um, picked him up, took him to his appointment, did it a couple times, not knowing that, that just like two months later, you see, he was working at a gas station at night, 
but he didn't have a car. And so he had this, it was really kind of a kid's bike that he would ride to work. And one night on his way home from work, he was hit by a car and killed. And I remember when it happened, thinking, what if I hadn't been a help at all? What if I had missed this opportunity? Not knowing that he really did not have that many more days. I'm glad I can stand here today and say I did do it instead of stand here with regret and wish I had. You see, that's the crazy thing about my mind and how it works. I don't know how yours works, but my mind and how it works. There have been lots of situations that I've seen where I've thought, Lord, send me in. I can handle this. And he didn't. And then there's been many situations where I'm like, Lord, please don't make me do this. And he says, go on out there and drop your net. When I acted at his word, amazing things happened. When I didn't, I don't think I even know what I missed. So Simon is about to learn a lesson about acting on Jesus' word, and it's going to be a bit overwhelming. Luke 5, verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So much for Simon knowing more about fishing than Jesus. Or, or wait, maybe. Maybe there's a finer point here. Maybe Simon does actually know more about fishing than Jesus, but it seems Jesus knows more about fish than Simon. Or maybe we can go even further. Maybe even better. Fish know who Jesus is, and they do what he says, even better than Simon. I did wonder, I did wonder if the fish said, uh, Lord, we spent all night avoiding this guy's net, and now you want us to swim into it in the day? But uh, it, we have no record that the fish said that, so, so I don't want to presume they did. But here's the irony that we've developed so far regarding Jesus. Demons know who Jesus is and what he can do. Fish know who Jesus is and do what he says. What's wrong with humans? There's a quote from the book Desire of Ages that always sticks in my mind by Ellen White. It's, it always sticks in my mind and it's right near the beginning of the book. It's in, on page 20. And, and it talks about... Uh, it, it, the whole section is talking about everything that God created receives in order to give. And then there's this one line, and it's the one that always stays with me. It goes like this. There is nothing save the selfish heart of man that lives unto itself. 
There is nothing in all of God's creation except the selfish heart of man that lives unto itself. And every now and then we are reminded, as Peter was in that day, of that reality about ourselves. Luke 5, verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Have you ever had this experience with Jesus? Where in the presence of Jesus, you suddenly become aware of, of all the reasons Jesus should not be seeking you, Jesus should not be calling you, Jesus should not be loving you. Now there's always a risk here. Whenever we talk about this point, there's always a risk that we're going to get it wrong because it has been wrongly stated and wrongly heard so many times. And it seems that we have in this particular era of the church become overcautious dealing with this issue of self-awareness of our selfish hearts. We all know stories of others that have abused this concept for their own gain, to, to get others to behave or to do what they want them to do or, or think ought to be done. But I want us to just take a minute today and face this issue. There is a difference between being guilt-ridden and self-loathing, we're not going for that. There's a difference between being guilt-ridden and self-loathing in the presence of Jesus and being humble and repentant in the presence of Jesus. That one we want. I don't want anybody walking out guilt-ridden and self-loathing. But I wouldn't mind if you left humble and repentant. And to that end, let me ask you, have you ever done a lay-on-the-floor prayer? Have you ever done that? You see, we kind of got away from the whole idea of, of posture and worship and different things like that. And Every era has its own things, and it's almost always a, a reaction to what happened in the era gone by and all of those other things. And, you know, it used to be kneeling for prayer was a normal thing that we did. But everybody would have got a little nervous if you just went flat out. Yet there's all kinds of references in the Bible to that sort of thing. And I, I'm going to say, okay, I think it probably is better, at least in our context, for that to be the kind of thing you do on your own. We don't want to make everybody else nervous with your prayer posture. But... Have you ever done a prayer like that? Where you just laid before the Lord? I will do that from time to time. There were other times in my life when I did it a little more regularly. Um, but from time to time, it, it's amazing how, how we, we position ourselves can impact the experience. And, and in the context of that, the type of prayer where you, you literally name your sins in God's presence. Now, again, 
let's, let's not get wrong on this. I'm not, we're not trying to do a magic thing here. We're not trying to talk about if you don't name every one of them, God can't forgive them. Just, just, just put all that over there. But when, in fact, you know in your heart that there is a part of what remains of your selfish heart that is at odds with God's purpose, to be able to name it and say, God, this is in my heart. And I confess it as being at odds with your purpose for me. And it's not even wrong if at times you experience tears of disappointment in yourself because sometimes we should be disappointed in ourselves. But here's the thing. God will not despise you for these things. Instead, 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is how you get release. This is why you don't have to carry guilt. And understand, this is not a one time at the beginning of faith experience. This confession experience needs to happen in every season of your Christian life because you go through different stages, you go through different realities, and the temptations and the shortcomings of each reality is different. But confession is very often the foundation and the first step of new life and new growth in each season. The goal is not that we become religious pick-me's. Do you know that term? I feel pretty proud of that term. That's, that's one of the ones kids are using these days, so I'm pretty proud whenever I can use one of those. Having a teenage daughter really keeps you current. So, so I'll tell you what a pick-me is. A pick-me is a person who goes around saying how terrible they are just so that everyone else will say they aren't. You met that person, right? They're always saying, oh, I'm the worst singer ever. Waiting for you to say, no, you're not. You're a great singer. You know that one? Yeah, that's a pick-me. We're not trying to be religious pick-me's where we go around, oh, God, I'm so terrible. No. We want to genuinely confess. But, but that whole attitude, I think, is just irritating. And I, I, The goal is that we not live under any illusion about ourselves or about our capacity to do the work of God's enemy, even when we think we're doing good. Do you remember Paul in the days when he was Saul? He literally, in his zeal for God, persecuted the church. Don't be so sure, just because you have zeal, you also have righteousness. So here's the challenge for the week. Spend 10 minutes on your knees confessing this week. Just by yourself. Not in public, not... Just so, so I, I tried this last night. I thought it wouldn't be fair to ask you to do it and not do it myself. So I tried it last night before I went to bed. Oh, it's not really fun. But, but it is relieving. 
And if you're carrying burdens, there's nothing better you can do than just, just lay them out. And even if those burdens are related to shortcomings and failings, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. Psalm 51, verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So let's get back to this story. Luke chapter 5, verse 7. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. So did you hear these words of Jesus? And particularly to Simon... He didn't say to Simon after Simon said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He didn't say, oh, Simon, come on, you're not that bad. No, he didn't. Likely because in truth, Simon really was and really would continue to be a sinful man. It was just reality. But the amazing reality about the grace of Jesus is that the fact that sometimes our hearts are selfish is alone not enough to stop Jesus from calling us anyway. He calls anyway. And on that day, on that beach, Jesus told those men, from here on out, your lives are changing. So Jared, you and the band, come on back up here because we're going to need your first song here in just a minute. And let's finish this story. What did they do? What did Peter, James, John, probably Andrew, although he's not named here, what did they do? Luke 5, verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. At Jesus' word, they followed and obeyed, and because of their faithfulness, and the faithfulness of generation after generation after generation of believers from their day to our day, because of those callings, because Jesus calls to those who are less than perfect and says, go out and fish for humans. Bring them into my kingdom, because Jesus calls. Every generation, from that day until this day, because of the faithfulness of the generations, we are here today, and we are hearing these words today. But if we are not also a faithful generation, guess what? It ends right here. We have to pass it on. We have to tell the next generation the story of Jesus. So what is Jesus telling you today? He said to Simon, go on out there, throw your nets in. Simon said, yeah, that doesn't strike me as a good idea. 
but because you said it, I will do it. Got anything like that in your life? Jesus is telling you something and you're like, yeah, but because you said it, I will do it. What is Jesus telling you? And are you ready to act at his word? Maybe before you're ready to go and, 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 and follow him, like he said, maybe you need that initial Simon experience where, where you're inclined to say, depart from me for I am a sinful person, O Lord. If that is you this morning, the song we're going to sing here in just a second is a good one for this. Here's what I want to tell you. Your best life is the one where you act in harmony with what Jesus tells you. When you say, even though I feel like I know better, at your word, Jesus, I will do what you say. This is how we become fig trees, not just with leaves, but with actual fruit. What will Jesus tell you? What is Jesus telling you? And are you ready to act at his word?